Lord, we give thanks for great hymns of faith, like the old rugged cross, beloved hymns of fathers and mothers, grandmothers, grandfathers. Remind us of the power of the cross, of what was done on that cross, of the one who had the power, of the one whose blood was shed for us. So, O Lord, we come to seriously consider the old rugged cross and the words and the sacrifice that have made it forever beautiful. So guide now our conversation this day, I ask and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all, I'm just going to be straight up. Um, That was one of my grandmother's favorite hymns. And... um, and so I was just up there singing it, and, uh, you know, you get teary-eyed. Uh, so thank you for the selection of that hymn uh, for our anthem. And uh, for that, I give thanks to God. So I'm a little fair clamped, but I'll get over it. On with the sermon. You know, raising children is an absolute joy. But it's not without its difficulties. Right? And and I bet there were some difficult times for Mary and Joseph as they raised Jesus. I mean, there was difficulty before Jesus was even born, right? I mean, Jesus' conception was not without some controversy, y'all. His birth itself was not without turmoil. You know, labor and delivery in a cattle stall, shepherds, livestock, you know, things like that. Not without some issues. Even in infancy, difficulty surrounded Jesus. Why, only 40 days after Jesus' birth, some, some old feller by the name of Simeon cornered Mary and Joseph at the temple one day and he, he said, Jesus is going to save the world. And then Simeon looked directly into Mary's eyes and he said, and he'll pierce your heart with a sword. Well, I bet she was thrilled to hear that. Or how about when Jesus was 12? Remember when his parents lost him for three days? When Mary and Joseph finally found Jesus in the temple, he was teaching the most prominent pastors of their time about God. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His his mother said, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? Jesus asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, Jesus didn't intend to harm with his words, and in truth, he didn't. But if you've ever lost a child, you know the range of emotions that takes place when you're looking for them and you finally find them, right? We, we lost our youngest daughter, Haley, once at the Middleburg Fireman's Carnival. She was five. Y'all ain't never seen a man my size move so quickly. When we finally found Haley, she didn't even know she was lost, but we did. My emotions were all over the place. I was scared, I was frantic, I was angry, I was thankful. All rolled into one giant ball of intensity. Because apparently I'm intense. (laughs) At least according to my family. Now Haley was only missing about 20 minutes. 
but I can't imagine how I would have felt if she had been missing for three days. Well, Jesus had been missing three days. If I had been Joseph, I'm just saying, if I'd have been Joseph, I'd have likely put Jesus over my knee. Not just because of what he had done, but because of what he just said to his mama. Didn't you know, son? I mean, Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus, he might have walked into that temple, but he'd have limped out. (laughs) Raising Jesus had to be difficult at times. And, And I don't think being Jesus' parent got any easier when he became an adult. Why? Because let's face it, parenthood doesn't get any easier when our children become adults. You remember the wedding wine episode at Cana? When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Jesus responded, dear woman, why do you involve me? (laughs) My time has not yet come. Now the Bible doesn't tell us what must have gone through Mary's mind, but I imagine it was something like this. Boy, I involved you because I carried your divine hiney in my belly for nine months. Your time has not yet come. Your time's going to come sooner or later if you don't think you're going to help me right now. Y'all, I wonder if Mary ever smacked Jesus on the back of the head. <laughs> Anybody else's mom do? My mom does that. She still does. My mom was here in worship last week. You know she smacked me on the back of the head. I said something smart alecky to her and I got... <clears throat> of course, Jesus helped his mother, but it was not without some difficulty. You know, I bet parenthood was even more difficult for Mary after her husband Joseph died. And Joseph must have died somewhere between Jesus' 13th and 30th birthdays because he no longer appears in the Bible. Jesus was the eldest son and the first child of Mary, which would make him responsible for ensuring his mother's care after his father's death. And yet we read of this account in Mark. A crowd was sitting around Jesus and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Well, how did Jesus respond? Did he say... Thank you. If y'all excuse me, I'm just going to go check on my mama for a moment. Or did he say, great, please send them in. No, this is how Jesus responded. Well, who are my mother and brothers? Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. Difficult. The boy and now the man Jesus could be very difficult. I mean, clearly, family values was not a Jesus thing. If you don't like that, you can blame Bishop Will Willimon. But I liked it, so I stole it for the sermon. Or at least family values in the conventional way we might think of it was not a Jesus thing. See, Jesus could be difficult, but he was purpose-driven. He was willing to have conflict with any person or any group of people if it meant bringing them closer to his heavenly father. At times, this meant he was going to be difficult with his family. At other times, it meant the stranger or the Pharisee or those he would call to become his closest disciples. I mean, Jesus' call to discipleship was difficult. He was walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon and Peter, and, or Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net in the lake, and he said, hey, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And Simon, Peter, and Andrew, they did great things for the kingdom of God, 
But y'all, the result of them leaving their family's fishing business must have been difficult, if not disastrous, for the business. I mean, these two brothers were at peak working age when Jesus called them and they left the family business and followed him. Oh, that must have caused conflict in the family. But they chose Jesus. And not only did Jesus transform the rest of their lives, but Jesus also transformed the world through their willingness to follow him. See, Jesus was often difficult because he was uncompromising in his mission. And we see in Matthew's gospel that Jesus' call of an unnamed disciple even destroyed the reverence of a family funeral. Another disciple said, Lord, first let me go bury my father. But Jesus said, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Y'all, that's harsh, right? No compromise. Jesus made the choice clear. Leave the family funeral and follow me right now. Even amid grief, Jesus' uncompromising call demanded a difficult response. Oh, Jesus could be very confrontational. Jesus' ministry was so confrontational that people were either drawn to him or repelled by him. And that often led to conflicts within families. Jesus said it would as much in Matthew 10 verses 34 through 39 ultimately. He says, do not suppose I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. He goes on to say, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Then he says, Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now listen, Jesus isn't saying that it's wrong to love our families. In fact, the most loving action we can ever take is to love Jesus first, for he is the source of love, and his love is going to strengthen our love for others, especially in our families. Also, by the way, Jesus is not saying that Christians should be obnoxious and try to intentionally divide our families. What Jesus is saying is that he loves us without compromise and he wants us to love him the same. Rest assured, loving Jesus where others don't welcome Jesus, that's going to be difficult and it will divide relationships. Difficult. It must have been difficult to raise Jesus. It must have been difficult to follow Jesus. It must have been difficult for everyone to live in the tension of Jesus' divine humanity. But as difficult as it was to raise Jesus and follow Jesus, I imagine for those who loved him, it must have been most difficult to see Jesus raised.
Over the last several weeks, we've surveyed various aspects of the cross. We've surveyed the location of the cross on Calvary, the hill of death that either looked like a human skull or was littered with human skulls. We surveyed the criminals on Jesus' right and left and the responses of faith and rejection. We've considered the nearly dead state of Jesus' body before he was ever fastened to the cross. And we've considered how difficult, if not impossible, it was for Jesus to raise himself up by the nail holes so that he could expand his diaphragm to speak. Not once, but seven times. Today we survey the cross. We consider who is at the foot of the cross and the difficulty of what takes place. John's Gospel says that near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. His mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now, before we consider these three women, I must point out that some scholars and some Bible translators um, read this as four women and some three. That phrase is read differently. And you should know that at least a good two to four hours um, of intellectual debate took place between Pastor Deb and I as we did parsing and syntaxing and considering things like how John uses the, the Greek chi in, in, the, in his, I mean, it was fun for us. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> it was fun for me. Yeah. But we did come to an agreement that it could be a faithful interpretation to say that there were three women or that there were four women. Doesn't take away from the interpretation either way. So I've chosen to interpret this verse as three women named Mary. And when you add John, that's four people who believe in Jesus at the foot of the cross. Now these four people that believe stand in stark contrast to the squad of four Roman soldiers who were gambling for Jesus' clothes. So once again, we witness one Jesus and two choices. Rejection is seen by the response of the Roman soldiers to Jesus. Faith is seen by the women in John and their response to Jesus. Now, we're well acquainted with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and we're going to further consider her emotional state in a moment. And we know Mary Magdalene, a disciple of Jesus, and the first to discover the empty tomb. But, but who is Mary, the wife of Clopas? Well, Clopas was the brother of Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. So Mary, the wife of Clopas, was the sister-in-law of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And it's possible that Clopas helped to provide financial support for Mary, the mother of Jesus, after Joseph had died. This is speculation, but it's possible. Clopas and Mary's son, Simeon, was Jesus' cousin, and he would become the leader of the Jerusalem church after the deaths of Peter and James. By the way, it's possible that Simeon may have been the same Simon of Cyrene who helped Jesus to carry his cross up the hill. 
But again, that's speculation. So at the foot of the cross was Mary, the wife of Clopas. Now, whether or not she believed that Jesus was the Messiah is not known, but she was extended family buddy. Okay, Mary Clopas was there to support Mary, the mother of Jesus, through the most excruciating pain a mother could ever feel. Jesus may have been difficult at times, but he was always family. Now, Mary Magdalene was there to support both Jesus and his mother. And some have asked, is Mary Magdalene also Mary of Bethany? You know, like Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Is this the same Mary? Maybe. Maybe not. Scholars have varying opinions, but like the rest of us, they don't know either. For certain, she was a disciple and likely a financial supporter of Jesus' ministry. She was present at the cross, at the burial, and was the first to discover the empty tomb on the morning of the third day. She, too, felt Mary's pain as well as her own. But she did not waver in her uncompromising devotion to the Master. For Mary Magdalene, Jesus was family. She was already carrying her cross as a disciple. Now, when I consider what it must have been like for Jesus' mother at the foot of the cross, I think of these. Baby feet. Y'all, I don't think you want to watch me like melt in the mush. Baby feet. It'll do it every time. I think there's nothing more precious in this world than tiny little baby feet. You know, they're meant to be played with and tickled and nibbled on. Ah, baby feet, right? I know I'm mean and ugly, but when it comes to babies, I get real pretty and cute. And when a baby becomes a toddler and then a preschooler, their feet are still cute. They're still fun to play with. See, one of my favorite games to play with my daughters when, uh, until they were about five was the foot telephone game. Have you ever played the foot telephone game? It's where you grab a child by the leg and you yank them over to you and then you pick up their foot like a phone and you start talking on it. <laughs> they love it. I do as well. Give you an idea of something fun you can do today if you have a child or a grandchild, five or under. By the way, our oldest daughter, Madison, turned 20 on Friday, and I offered to play this game with her, but she declined. <laughs> That's okay. Her feet aren't cute anymore anyways. Baby feet. Soft, innocent, and precious. With a lifetime of growing and, and learning and loving ahead of them. So I wonder if at the foot of the cross, Mary saw the bloody crossed feet of her son nailed together from top to bottom into a rough piece of wood. And, and I wonder if she thought, Look at what these monsters have done to my baby's feet. I wonder if at the cross Mary recalled playing with Jesus' baby feet as the two cooed at one another, falling more and more and more in love with each other as mother and child. All the time and 
and effort and love that Mary had poured into Jesus over 33 years, all of that was now just becoming a pool of blood at the feet of Mary's baby. In a matter of hours, all the hopes and the dreams Mary had for her son were dashed. Everything she and Joseph had provided for their son, it all seemed for naught as Jesus hung bloody and dying and gasping for breath on the cross. Each Mary at the foot of the cross represented an aspect of family. Mary Clopas represented the extended family of Jesus. So even though Jesus could be difficult, he was still blood. Mary Magdalene, she represented a new family of disciples. Mary Magdalene was there because Jesus was so difficult. He was so uncompromisingly purpose-driven that he insisted on saving her and including her in God's family. That's why she was there. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, represented the nuclear family. This was her baby. Now there was one more person who was present at the foot of the cross. And this was John, the beloved and youngest disciple of Jesus. Now when I surveyed the cross, I asked myself, where were the rest of Jesus' supporters? I mean, we don't expect to see Judas Iscariot there for obvious reasons, right? But what about the other ten? What about Peter and Andrew, who left the family fishing business to follow Jesus? What about Matthew, who left his lucrative tax collecting business? I doubt Thomas would have been there, but what about Bartholomew, Jude, or Philip? Jesus, who fed thousands of people with a little boy's bag lunch. Jesus, who healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, who raised the dead. Where was everybody else? When the crowds didn't get the revolution they wanted, they turned on Jesus. When it became too dangerous for the disciples closest to Jesus, they ran and they hid. Jesus, who for the last three years had a crowd of followers wherever he traveled, was now neglected by the masses and by most who were closest to him. On the cross, Jesus was mostly neglected. But from the cross, Jesus still provided. Though at times Jesus could be difficult, he always provided. He provided life and light and love to everyone he encountered, even those with which he had conflict. Jesus never harmed a single person. Oh yeah, there were tough conversations. People either loved or hated what Jesus said and did. I mean, he healed the sick. He restored the broken. He raised the dead to life. He also confronted bad teaching and corrupt power. But Jesus never harmed others. But what happened on the cross to Jesus was ugly. But the words he spoke from the cross, well, those have forever transformed the cross into a symbol of eternal beauty. And it's in this context that Jesus offers his third word from the cross. It is the son's provision. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, 
Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. Now crucifixion was such a painful death that victims scarcely spoke. But Jesus did. Jesus spoke because he is his father's son. See, God is a provider. Jesus is God's only son. Therefore, Jesus provided. He provided a family for those he loved, not just for Mary and John, but for all who would ever follow him. And notice here that Jesus no longer addressed Mary as mother, but as woman. See, Jesus isn't minimizing his relationship with his mother in this moment. Mm -mm. No, Jesus is transforming it. He's transforming it. He's transforming it by drawing the circle wide with his blood. After all, why do you think Jesus' blood was shed? Why do you think his blood was flowing down the cross off his feet and pulling on the ground below? I'll tell you why. Because it takes blood to make a family. The blood of Jesus transforms followers into family. He who was neglected most on the cross provided a family for all from the cross. The son's provision, it means we never ever have to go it alone, even when we're feeling lonely. Are you orphaned? You don't have to go it alone. Are you widowed? You don't have to go it alone. Are you abused? You don't have to go it alone. Are you addicted? You don't have to go it alone. Do you feel invisible, misunderstood, or abandoned? You don't have to go it alone. The blood of Christ has given us a family that neither death nor the gates of hell can take away from us. See, in the blood of Christ, we have a common heartbeat. It doesn't mean we're not going to have conflicts that never get resolved. Nor does the blood of Jesus instantly heal broken relationships or abuse. But what the blood of Jesus promises is that one day, every scar, every trauma, every separation, every unresolved emotion will one day be healed because that's the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And there is power in the blood. And not to get ahead of myself and and not to attempt to splice science and faith, but the blood of Jesus Christ instituted something into creation that was new. It was a distorted creation by sin, but Jesus introduced something new into that distortion. It's holy DNA. Right? What dripped off the feet of Jesus and onto the dead soil of humanity was the DNA of resurrection. Jesus moved into the neighborhood. He never moved out. Even when he was dying on the cross, even when his body was planted into the grave, even when he was resurrected and ascended into heaven, Jesus never moved out because God delivered his DNA to our dying soil, connecting us with a forever family through him. Now, now there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. For all are one in Christ Jesus. The Son provided His blood to make a forever family. Jesus could be difficult, but that's because He was uncompromising and purpose-driven. Why? Because God loved the world so much 
he gave his own blood. And now, now, that ugly cross is beautiful. Because of the words of Jesus and the blood he provided. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.